You need to do these things. To forgive, to reconcile, to encourage, to agree, to have peace, because then you will be drawing others into unity, into community. You will be recognizing the beauty and the gift that exists in other people. When I was a kid, my dad got fired from a job as a road worker because he was accused of stealing. And I remember being really young, I I refused to believe that he could do such a thing. But then when I got home that day, all the signs were there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 164. I hope you enjoyed that dad joke. That's how we start every episode. If it's your first time listening, uh, thank you for listening. And please rate and review this podcast so that other people can find it. If you haven't done that yet, or if it's been a while since you've left us a rating or, or, or a review, that would be great. I'm so used to doing this so fast and I'm getting all tongue tied. Um, if you haven't yet done so or haven't in a while, go check out our website, manafoodforthought.com. You can find all of our social media links on there, all of our content. While you're there, click the uh, subscribe button so that you can get our weekly uh, psalm reflection in your email. And uh, click the give button if you're interested in uh, contributing financially to this podcast, even if it's just a dollar a month. Everything helps uh, to help this podcast stay on the air and cover the costs associated with hosting it on the website and all the other things. So thank you if you're a patron. Thank you for listening. Uh, Share this with other people on Instagram at manafoodforthought is where you can tag us and find us. And without further ado, let's get into our episode with our joy, junk, and Jesus. What has brought you joy? Where have you encountered Jesus? What is the junk in your life? Let us know so we can pray for you. For me, the joy in my life is that um, it is that time of year again where I get to go to the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention in Arizona. I've been there nearly every year since my conversion at this event in 2006. So that was math 13 years ago. Um, no, more than that. Wait, math is hard. <laughs> 2006, four, so 17 years ago. Wow. Um so, and I've been, like I said, pretty much every year since then. So I'm very, I'm always so excited to go back. It's hard to leave my family and being away from them. I get to FaceTime them and things like that. That's the real hard part. Um, and hopefully eventually they'll get to come with me, um, one of these years, but, um, yeah, I'm always really excited to go. So, and see all my youth ministry family and things like that. So, uh, so pray for me. That's coming up in, in a couple weeks, second week of June. Um, I'll be gone for a week for that. And then, um, my Jesus moment um, is that this past weekend, Pentecost weekend, well, it was Pentecost, hello, birthday of the church, Holy Spirit, super great. Uh, it was also the last weekend of our mystagogia for our CIA, so all of those people who received their sacraments on Easter Vigil, this is our last kind of formation session with them. All of our adults who I've been preparing to receive confirmation, there's a handful of them, they got confirmed. All of our teens at our parish got confirmed that evening with the bishop, so it was this huge day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and sacraments and all of these programs and processes coming to fruition for all of these people and all of these beautiful comments about how wonderful it's been and that it's been life-changing for some it was just really incredible to hear. So um, yeah, my junk in the midst of all of that is that, um, I don't know, I've just kind of been f- reflecting on the fact that I what I really have time for at the moment now that those things are, you know, taking a break for a few months is to really spend some time enjoying things and resting. And I was just kind of reflecting last night on like, I don't really, I haven't really had the opportunity to just 
you know, go out with maybe some friends and just enjoy something or do something for myself. Um, you know, I get, we get our like alone time every week. My wife and I, we take a couple hours each week to ourselves, but you know, that's to maybe, you know, run a few errands or go just relax somewhere, read a book, just kind of get away from the chaos. But you know, um, I don't know. I just, I think I need to do a better job of like communicating to my friends when, you know, uh, I'd like to see them and do things out that are social. And I've just gotten out of the habit of that. And it was just, you know, I was reflecting on it today and I, I've not, had like any social time that hasn't been ministry related in forever. Um, and that's kind of been weighing on me. So yeah, pray that I, uh, can do that. And I hope you can do that too. Cause it's, it's beautiful and beneficial and we all need it. Um, this Sunday, as you're listening to this, this upcoming Sunday is the solemnity of the most Holy Trinity. The Sunday following Pentecost Sunday is always the solemnity of the most Holy Trinity. And so the second reading for this upcoming Sunday comes from the very last three uh, verses of the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. So this is 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 13. And we have this passage because it has a Trinitarian language in it. Uh, And so it's celebrating the Holy Trinity as all of the other passages in Scripture are going to do. Um, The gospel is very short. It's from John 3, 16, 17, and 18, just about how the the whole purpose of the Trinity and, and you know, breaking into our human experiences to save us and unify us and make us whole again. And so um, I'm not really, though, going to get into like the Trinity. I'll talk a little bit about it, but I want to get into the second reading and talk about the rest of what's in this reading and what, how I think it's beneficial for us. So this is how St. Paul chooses to end his final letter that we have from him to the church in Corinth. Uh, remember, he lived with them for a year and a half. He established this community. It was a huge, wealthy seaport trade center pagan and secular uh, center of many different religions, practices, some immoral behaviors, often compared to 10 times worse than today's Las Vegas. Um, And yet it was this booming epicenter of early Christianity as well. So Paul is encouraging and exhorting the early church there in the problems they're facing, how to handle them and how to continue to be faithful disciples of Jesus. So this is how he ends his final letter to them, at least the final one that we have from him uh, in 2 Corinthians. He says, Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Mend your ways. Encourage one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the holy ones greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably recognize that last little doxology as a uh, something that's very commonly said at Mass, very Trinitarian. But I want to pay attention, as I said, to the first part of that, where Paul is exhorting them. He tells them to do certain things, to rejoice, to mend, to encourage, to agree, and to live in peace. And those are things I think I was reflecting on those words and thinking about what it means to mend your ways. Well, that means to forgive and to reconcile, and then to encourage, to agree, to be at peace. I was thinking, like, that is so opposite most people's experience. Like most of the world of our culture, of our own personal experience today, is marked by the opposite of those words. It's marked by unforgiveness, division, selfishness, discord, and anxiety. That's kind of what our world looks like. And that's because, you know, our world is broken and fallen, and this is the, um, the battlefield, the operating place of the devil and his demons trying to destroy us, trying to steer us away from the life that God has created us for. And... Jesus came to die on the cross so that we would be free of all of those things. And yet, 
we still have to respond. And so these things are still part of our life. Unforgiveness, division, selfishness, discord, anxiety, all of these things. And this passage, the way that Paul is leaving this community with this kind of final advice is really just kind of simple keys to the, the life of a disciple and a life of joy. That's why he says, like, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And you might be thinking, how do I do that? And he says, mend your ways, encourage one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's the formula. If you want to have a life of joy, if you want to have a good life, a life that is closer to the life that God created you to have, do those things. And so let's look at those invitations briefly, each one of them. When he says, mend your ways, I, I break that down between forgive and reconcile. And so first, forgiveness. You know, unforgiveness is one of the things that Jesus preaches against most often. Unforgiveness, hypocrisy, and attachment to wealth or material things. Like those are the things that Jesus speaks against the most. Hypocrisy, unforgiveness, and the poor, you could say. Or, you know, earthly wealth. And so we need to have a heart of forgiveness. You know, Matthew 18, <clears throat> Jesus gives this direction on how you're supposed to correct one another. It's called this passage of fraternal correction from verses 15 to 18. But right after that, when he's talking about if one of your brother's sins, if something is going awry or wrong in the church, here's how you correct it. Then it follows up with this, this passage right after where Peter approaches Jesus and asks him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? This is a very generous invitation from Peter. He's recognizing there's going to be division in the church. This is how we fix it. But also he's recognizing the need to forgive and he's trying to forgive generously. But Jesus answers and he says, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, we don't interpret that literally. You don't have to go up to someone and say, I forgive you 77 times. But the number seven is perfect. It's a, it's a number of perfection in biblical numerology in the Hebrew language. Because remember, every word and every letter in Hebrew has a numerical significance. And so seven was always associated with things that are heavenly, that are divine, that are complete. And so Jesus is saying, yes, don't just, don't just forgive someone fully or completely. Forgive them to the fullest and most complete way possible. He adds that seven to it, multiplying it. And so for the people in your life that you're holding unforgiveness against, or the people you have yet to ask forgiveness from, could that possibly be a reason why you're not experiencing the joy that God has promised you? Again, this is what Jesus speaks about most often. One of the things he speaks about most often, worldly and earthly attachments, unforgiveness, and hypocrisy. How are those things affecting you? And how do you need to forgive and ask for forgiveness? Secondly, reconciling with others, not just asking for forgiveness, but reconciling these divisions. You know, we live in a world that is so divided, that is so us versus them, so heavily politicized. Um, and it, I feel like it's getting more to the place where civil dialogue is becoming more possible because you can only be hit over the head with this kind of like extreme ends of, of, of a view, you know, um, the, ex, the ends of the, the spectrum on any issue, the ends of the political spectrum, just shouting at each other. And you can only hear that so much before you're like, this is really not helping, you know, like, and this is really not what most people think or believe. But it still paints a lot of our conversations. We still regurgitate a lot of these things that we've heard that are very divisive, even if we may not fully support them. I hear them thrown around all the time. 
But Jesus, he was not a person of division, even though he brought a message that is very divisive. And he said, I did not become to, br to bring peace, but division, but the sword. He also says in John 17, this is in his priestly prayer. This is his desire, his prayer for the church, for the disciples. This is what he ultimately desires. This is at the very end of his ministry, the very last speech he gives in John. He says this, I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I mean, it's in the same vein of what we were talking about in last week's episode on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and how there are many parts but one body, that we all need to have a unified sense of our purpose, that we all belong, that there is a place for all of us in the church, that no human being is our enemy, the enemy is the enemy, and that the Lord desires that all of us to be one. And so anywhere in our lives where we're experiencing division, hatred, um, envy, or um, just kind of repugnance toward another group of people or another ideology point of view within the church or outside of the church, in politics or in our family, wherever it is, we, in order to follow Jesus faithfully, need to be agents of reconciliation. And the hardest place that starts is in our own lives, our own families, admitting the ways that we have done wrong, that we've jumped to conclusions or made judgments about people too harshly. And so where in your life do you need reconciliation? Because if you forgive, if you reconcile, that is the formula for joy. And then Paul has these other three exhortations, encourage one another, mend, or, sorry, agree with one another, and live in peace. When I think of the word encourage, what automatically comes to mind is how, how little people do it. Because we're so focused on ourselves. And you may not realize this. I don't think most of us realize how selfish we are. But it's so rare that you see people celebrating the good work and affirming the good qualities in other people while not at the same time being like, well, why aren't I being appreciated for my work? You know, no one ever celebrates me. No one ever talks about that. Like, we're so quick to wonder why people aren't paying attention to us that we never acknowledge or celebrate the good or that God is doing in other people or the amazing work that they're doing. We seek to criticize it because it makes us insecure. They have a public platform or they're doing more good than we are. And instead of celebrating that and and maybe even sharing it with others, like, look at what this brother or sister in the body of Christ is doing for the glory of God. Look at the amazing work that this person in our family did. Instead, we're like, oh, yeah, but they're still like, you know, doing this or that. Or, you know, oh, I bet they had a lot of help. Or, yeah, they're just doing it for attention. Or, you know, I did that last. Why didn't anyone throw a party for me? You know, we get very self-focused. We tear down others and we try to build ourselves up. Instead of what we should do as Christians is not tear ourselves down, but humble ourselves and encourage others up. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, as indeed you do. This is his advice to the church in Thessalonica. Encourage one another and build one another up. I once heard a story of, there was a, you know, a youth minister that I know, and they had a new team come to the youth group. And this teen was kind of like, you know, ragging on other, you know, members of the youth group that were there. And the youth minister came over and he was like, hey, you know, I appreciate your sense of humor. Just so you know, uh, here we build each other up. And I just wanted you to be aware of that. It's just one of our rules here. So I appreciate, you know, that if you would follow that in the future. Really glad to have you here. And just the way he delivered it and like recounted him delivering it. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I love that rule. Like we build one another up here. 
What a great rule to have like in friendships, in our families. I mean, in male friendships, there's this kind of like sense of like, we always got to rag on each other. We always got to kind of be roasting each other. And someone, someone in the group has to be the one that gets the brunt of the joke. And that might move around. Someone might be the one who gets it more often than others. And I think this is, I, I think this is true in, in women and uh, groups of women as well and in, in female friendships. It might be more passive aggressive or, you know, gossip oriented. Um, but there tends to be this like, you know, um, desire to know all the cheese all of the gossip and all of the, uh, the real harsh things about other people. And it's almost like, you know, slowing down to watch the car accident instead of pulling to the side and getting out to help. And that's what we really need to do as Christians is always be building one another up, always seeking to affirm, celebrate the good, um, you know, encourage each other and not look inward, but to look, how can I celebrate what others around me are doing? Because it's all part of the body of Christ. It's all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter who does it. There's not going to be a list, uh, a plaque of achievements in heaven. There's going to be a big old round table of saints, and that's it. Secondly, he says, agree with one another. Oh my Lord, how much do we need this? There's so much discord and division, like I said, in our world. And in that same passage from 1 Thessalonians 5 that I quoted about encouraging one another, two verses later, Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. Like this is his advice. If you want to succeed, if you really want to be church, if you really want to be faithful to the ministry and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you need to be at peace among yourselves. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Hebrews 12, 14. It used to be on my email signature, but then my email signature got too long. And so... But it's strive for peace with everyone and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I'll say that again. Strive for peace with everyone and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You are a walking symbol of Catholicism and of faith for other people. And if you are living a life of discord, division, gossiping about other people, tearing them down, you know, always pointing out the bad, always criticizing, always being negative, people are going to think that's what Christians do and that's what Christianity is. But when we strive for peace with everyone, we're, recon- we're recognizing there is a commonality that I can have with anybody. Regardless of what they believe, even if they're at the complete end, ideologically, religiously, and politically of me, in every sense of the word, we're still human beings on this planet trying to live a good life. You know, fundamentally. And so there is always a commonality. There is a way at which I can be at peace with anyone you put in front of me. And I can live in such a way that I am, I am trying to live a holy life so that others will see the Lord. If others were to look at you and the things you say about others, if they were to hear everything you say about other people on a daily basis, if they were to listen to what you say, pay attention to what you do, would they know that you were a Christian? Would they have a good example and reflection of the ministry and teachings of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a disciple and follow him? How can we agree? That doesn't mean we compromise our beliefs, but how do we recognize we have so much more in common than we realize, especially in our motivations and our intentions? Everyone desires, for the most part, everyone desires to be good and to be better and to help other people and to love. We all want those things, love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty. Every single person on this planet desires them. And whether they realize it or not, or whether that's become distorted through trauma or mental illness or you know, just a bad day, whatever it is, fundamentally somewhere under all of the layers, that's what's at play and operating in every single one of us. And if we can remember that, then we can forgive, we can reconcile, we can encourage, we can agree, 
And lastly, we can have peace. Matthew, in chapter 6, it says, uh, this whole section about um, dependence on God and not worrying. So it's from verses 25 to 34. I just want to read a few of these verses to you. Because I think we live in a world that is so marked by anxiety. And we just are so hungry for peace. This is what Jesus is saying in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Therefore I tell you, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 27, Can any of you by worrying at a single moment to your lifespan? Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. Like, let the evil of the day stay in that day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I mean, do the good work. Do what should not be put off to tomorrow. Do it today. Be faithful to the responsibilities God has given you. But let go of it. Lay it at the feet of the Lord. Tomorrow is not promised. We do not need to worry. We do not need to be people of anxiety, causing discord or allowing the discord the difficulty or the unknowns of life to affect us and attach to us so prominently that it's affecting our entire physiological and psychological health. There is so much that we think matters that does not matter. Now, I have to constantly ask myself, like when I'm worried about something like, is this the end of the world? Is anyone going to die? Is the world going to explode? If the worst case scenario happens, what really is going to happen? What would I do if the worst case scenario happened? Well, Oh, I guess I'd probably, you know, find another job or do this or that. Like, you know, and it's it's all manageable. Like, it's never as bad as we think it is. And so if we take this advice from Paul, mend your ways, encourage one another, agree with one another, live in peace, he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. If we forgive, if we reconcile, if we encourage, agree, and have peace, then God will be with us, the God of love and peace. As we celebrate Holy Trinity Sunday, that is one of the best images of God, is a God who is love. So it says in 1 John 4, chapter 8, whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. That is who God is. He is a trinity, a family, a relationship, a community unto himself. God the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love in between them. And you need all three of those things for love to happen. You need a lover, a beloved, and the love in between them. The husband, the wife, the love in between them becomes a child. It becomes new life. It is fruitful. And so that image of God as love exists in us. It's what we desire because we're made in the image and likeness of God. It says that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image and likeness of God. God is love. So we are made in the image and likeness of love. And love requires the other. It requires family, unity, relationship, community. I always quote this section of the Catechism, paragraph 166, where it says, Faith is a personal act, but faith is not an isolated act. No one can believe alone, just as no one can live alone. It goes on to say, Our love for Jesus and for our neighbor impels us to speak to others about our faith. Each believer is thus a link in the great chain of believers. I cannot believe without being carried by the faith of others. And my faith, and by my faith, I help support others in the faith. We need each other. Whether we like it or not, we need each other. Paul could have written to the Second Corinthians and said, you know what, just leave Corinth and go, all, go your separate ways, go be hermits, just devote your life to the Lord, and as long as you believe, that's all that matters. But he knew we cannot possibly believe without one another. Jesus didn't call one at a time, he called twelve. He knew 
that he needed them to be a group and that they needed each other. When he sent them out, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. We need one another. That's why Paul gives this advice. Because it's a recipe for joy, but so much of doing life with other people breeds unforgiveness, division, selfishness, discord, anxiety. And that's just a part of life, part of being in a fallen world. But brothers and sisters, if you want to live in the image and likeness of God, the Trinity, who we celebrate this Sunday, who is love, if you want to live in the image and likeness of love, who you were created to emulate and be like, you need to do these things to forgive, to reconcile, to encourage, to agree, to have peace, because then you will be drawing others into unity, into community. You will be recognizing the beauty and the gift that exists in other people and that you will not be cutting other people down or tearing them down or holding back forgiveness, but you will be reconciling and relationships will transform. God will be glorified. Jesus doesn't say, I'm with you when you're by yourself. When he says, I will be with you always till the end of the age, he's talking to a group. He says, where two or more are gathered in my, my name, there I am in the midst of them. We need one another. And so if you're feeling like I've been feeling lately, like I shared at the beginning, kind of like I haven't had that community, I haven't had that time to just enjoy things and rest in good company with other people, but I always have a job, I always have a responsibility, you know, and I love my role, I love my, my ministry, I love my family, I love being a dad and being a spouse, but sometimes I forget that I just need to go be me with other people and not have a job, not have a responsibility, not be chasing children, you know, not be ministering, not be on but be doing something that I love and that gives me life and that energizes me or that I'm excited about. And we need that in our faith and outside of our faith. And so wherever that's lacking for you in your life, however this is speaking to you today, my brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you to act on it. Maybe it's one of those five things that you feel really compelled to go do. Maybe there's a name or a situation immediately that comes to mind when those words have been, been said to forgive, to reconcile, to encourage, to agree, to have peace. Maybe you just need to take this opportunity to really look at your schedule and how you're spending your time and recognize that maybe you're burnt out and maybe you're not feeling like the person God created you to be because you're not having that time and leisure with others. You're not allowing yourself the community that we need in order to have a vibrant faith. We can have a personal relationship with God, but it is an individual experience of the communal relationship with God that we are a part of. There's no such thing as a private relationship with God. Personal, yes, but that is always in the context of community. And so if you've gotten more isolated, if you're not spending that time with others in community, getting involved in your parish, going to a ministry, meeting new people, even if you're an introvert, even if it takes a lot of energy, we all need it in some degree at some percent. And so you may only need that once every now and then because you get filled up when you're an introvert on your own, recharging, and it takes a lot to be in those social situations, but you still need it in order for your faith to grow and blossom. And so no matter who you are, I hope you're hearing this and I hope it's blessing you, not making you feel like, oh, I have so much work to do and oh yeah, I am really burnt out and gosh, it's making me realize that and sit with it. No, like take this as an encouragement, an invitation of the Holy Spirit to live more in the life of the Trinity, the life of love, the life of community, family, and relationship. That's what you were made for and you're never going to be able to escape that. It's in your soul and your bones and who you are and who created you. It's imprinted in every part of who you are. So don't deny it. Don't run away from it. Make time for it. And I guarantee you, if you do these things, if you forgive, if you reconcile, you encourage, you agree, you have peace, you live your life in community, 
that is the surest recipe for joy in your life. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.